ask that you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And uh, we're taking a little pause again from the book of Acts. And uh, I just thought today we're just going to focus on the resurrection. And we'll get back to Acts uh, next week. But I uh, just want this story to, to speak to us this morning, the truth of the resurrection, to challenge us and encourage us and build us up as, as the people of God. And uh, you have notes. I gave you notes. I, I told Kathy yes, uh, Friday, I'm like, I, I hated making notes for this sermon. I, I, they, they stink. But, uh, no, but you know, sometimes, Jeff, would, uh, I think it was uh, Warren Wearsby often said, you know, sometimes we can outline the life out of a text. I almost felt that with this one. So I, I, you have some notes there that are really just meant to be some signposts through the narrative. But I'm just going to tell the story this morning, and just let the story of the resurrection uh, speak to us. And I hope you know, what, what, you know what I mean when I say the word story. I don't mean story in the sense of an imaginative story, but this true uh, story of an empty tomb. So let me read. I want to pick up in chapter 27. Uh, the resurrection account begins in 28, but I want to just address briefly what happened on Saturday, the day in between. And that's where this text is going to pick up on the Sabbath and uh, you're going to see here, Matthew has this really roundabout way of referring to the Sabbath here in, in verse 62, the day after preparation, preparation for the Sabbath. So this was the Sabbath, um, the day after preparation, verse 62. Matthew writes, The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure. By sealing the stone and setting a guard. (laughs) We're going to see how that went in just a minute, right? Chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. (laughs) His appearance was like lightning. And his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't you be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he is risen just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. God, we thank you so much this morning for the gospel accounts of the empty tomb. God, we need this message of hope this morning. The promise and all that comes with it, the inheritance, the future kingdom, Because Jesus is alive, God, we need to be reminded of this. We live in hard days, we live in dark days, but God, we have a hope based on that empty tomb. So I pray that you'd build your church up, God, this morning with this message of hope and truth, that Jesus truly is resurrected and raised from the dead. And God, there are some sitting here in this room today who aren't under the blessing of the resurrection, God. They're outside of that. And the promises of the resurrection and the joy and the grace and the forgiveness and the peace isn't theirs this morning, God, because they haven't bowed the knee in repentance to Jesus Christ. God, I pray this morning that they'd be so aware of your grace that the blood of Jesus was shed on this cross for their sin and that this morning that they would come to Jesus, that they would confess their sin and humble themselves and bow the knee and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior so that they can find the same hope and joy and that the hope of the resurrection will then be theirs as well. So God, take your word, take your truth, and do what you will with it today for your glory and for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we love games at our house. We play a lot of different games. One of our favorites is Rook. We have any Rook players in here? Rook, nice and high. Uh, I see that hand. Okay, no, it's a, um, good. I, that was the only reason why I wanted to ask that question. We're going to have a tournament one of these days. and so we, uh, we love Rook at my house. In fact, last night we were celebrating Hannah's birthday because Chris was home this weekend and uh, we gave Hannah the choice of game. We played Rook. So uh, if you're not familiar with Rook, Euchre. People familiar with Euchre? So, all right, a few more hands. So you have this game where the, you know, the, um, the, the concept is, is built off Trump. And, um, and you have uh, the highest trump card. Now, in Rook, it's the one. So the one of trump, whatever color is trump, black, red, whatever, the one of that color is the highest trump. It will take any trick on the table. So when you have that card in your hand, when you're dealt the one of trump, I, you know, if you're me, you kind of sit there with a little bit of smugness. I know what I got. I know whatever you underlings play, I will take your trick. So throw your points on there, and I got you, right? And it's, it's feeling. It's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably just petty and shallow. But I like that feeling of holding that trump card in my hand. What you, church, need to know this morning is that you hold in your hand, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ultimate trump card. You hold the trump card. You need to be reminded this morning of the victory that you are assured of in Jesus Christ. And I I know this even from the past 
two, three, four weeks here, just doing life with you all. Uh, prayed and cried with many of you over the past weeks and months. Broken relationships, family tensions, hard parenting, loss of loved ones, desires and plans that remain unmet, dreams that aren't coming true, wayward children, financial struggles, difficult ministry, right? Ignite kids just won't listen to me, right? And on top of all that personal stuff, you feel the heaviness of living in this broken world, right? The news feed on our phone absolutely stinks these days, right? Shootings, war, NATO, China, Russia, Ukraine, inflation, refugees, legislation that seems to encroach more and more on our religious liberty, the proliferation of lifestyles and choices that rebel against God's design and his created order. Some of you sit here this morning and you need to find hope because you're weary of fighting that same sin that seems to get the best of you over and over again. Or you sit here and you're tired of facing that anxiety and depression that hammers away at your mind and sucks the life and strength out of you. So you sit here this morning tired and weary. Be reminded, church, this morning that you hold in your hand the ultimate trump card. And because you hold in that hand, your hand, the ultimate trump card, you can hear the glorious account of the resurrection this morning and be assured that rest is coming. Justice will be served. That because Jesus has been raised, we too will be raised. And because he is raised and living today, he has been exalted and he is coming back. And all of this mess that we live in will be made right. That's the victory that we are assured of this morning. So there's so many things in this account this morning for us to find hope in. So I pray that this passage, this story that is true, lifts your spirits and builds up your faith. Matthew's words here are intended to build up our faith. The foundation of our faith is found in this passage, the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord. This is historical fact. Our faith truly does have a firm foundation. Jesus really died, and Jesus was really dead. Matthew strongly affirms this, and it's crucial to fully understand the fact that he was really dead, because it's then that we find true hope and joy in a real resurrection, because the real and powerful enemies of death and hell were solidly obliterated and pounded into the ground that resurrection morning in Palestine. Our Savior did this when he walked out of that grave. And so along with the women in Matthew 28, I would exhort you this morning, in the midst of your brokenness, to grab onto the feet of your risen Messiah, and worship him. Worship him. Because this is where your soul will find hope and peace and joy and the motivation to keep walking on this morning. So here's my lame attempt at an outline of the glorious resurrection account. Let's walk through these things and let these things minister healing to our souls. First of all, Jesus' real death is a foundational reason 
for our hope. Matthew emphasizes the physical body and burial of Jesus. The word body is mentioned twice in chapter 27, verses 58 through 59. In the words that he uses, there are six verbs that describe the actions of Joseph of Arimathea that deal with real physical actions done with a real physical body in a real tomb. Joseph took the body, he wrapped it, he laid it in a tomb that he had cut. He rolled the stone in place and he went away. This all refers to the, uh, the, the reality of his death. Why was he buried? Even the church creeds emphasize the burial and death of Jesus. The Apostles' Creed, that he was buried. Right? The Heidelberg Catechism asked the question, why was Jesus buried? The answer, to confirm the fact that he was really dead. That's so significant. If he isn't really dead, then there isn't a true sacrifice for our sins, and death isn't truly conquered. So take hope this morning that Jesus really died. In Mark's account, Mark 15, he has a little detail in there that Matthew doesn't include in his account. But when Joseph comes to Pilate to ask for the body, Pilate says to him, he says, is, is, is he really dead already? Is, is he dead already? And he sends someone to Golgotha to, to, to find out. And, and it's relayed to him by the centurions, by the soldiers, that yes, he is really dead. The message comes back to Pilate, and Pilate releases the body to Joseph at that time. This is significant. These men were professional killers. And if they came back with the affirmation that that man is truly dead, and if the governor of Palestine signed off on it, Jesus was dead. Those guys didn't mess this one up, right? This is significant. Because what this means is he was brought into the grave, the place where death completely reigns in order to completely shatter its power. Jesus really died. Another part that's significant, and we'll unpack this a little bit more in just a moment, but here in Matthew 27, we didn't read this part, but back in verse 61, as Joseph buried Jesus, it says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting across the tomb. They watched the whole thing unfold. One of the arguments sometimes against the resurrection is maybe the Marys found the wrong tomb the next day. This is a significant thing that Matthew's pointing out. They were there. They were witness to the burial. The tomb that they showed up to on Sunday morning was the right tomb. And it was empty. Right? That's significant. The fact that there's two of them is also significant. Matthew's going out of his way to construct this. The fact that there was two of them satisfy the requirement back then by their law. Two witnesses were required to affirm the truth of something. And here you have it. Mary and Mary. Jesus' death was real. This is foundational to our hope. Earthly and evil powers attempt to assert their power and authority over Jesus' tomb. Right? The religious leaders are fearful of an empty tomb. Somewhere along the line, they remember a prediction of, of three days. Interesting that they seem to actually recall this even better than Jesus' own disciples did. They're hiding. But they're mindful of a prediction of Jesus rising again in three days. So they gather before Pilate to seek a guard and make a seal. Right? And it says here in Matthew, I like the terminology, they, they, they counsel together. This is exactly from Psalm 2. 
Psalm 2, where, where it talks about those who, who come, the, the, the evil and wicked authorities of this world who come together to counsel against the Lord and his anointed. That's exact, I bet Matthew had this in mind when he wrote this here. They're conspiring against the Lord and against Jesus, his anointed. See, the war against Jesus didn't end at his death. They continue to feel threatened by him. Interesting to me, too, that they did this on the Sabbath. They did this on the Sabbath. The day after the day of preparation, this was Sabbath. They seemingly broke the Sabbath here because they're so nervous about this. It shows the depth of their evil hearts. It also shows the level of fear that they possess. And here's the terminology that they use to describe Jesus. His fraud. They view Jesus in his claims as a fraud, as a trick, as a con job. And they say to Pilate, like, if, if, if they perpetrate a fake resurrection, that fraud's going to be even worse than the first fraud. What's amazing to me is that they can still, because of the hardness of their hearts, view Jesus in this way. After all they had seen, you think about just the scene around the cross at the crucifixion. Darkness comes in the middle of the day. Right? There's an earthquake that rocks Jerusalem. One of the gospel writers talks about graves being open. I don't even know how to explain that one. And then they have this little problem in their temple. Big problem. And this massive curtain that hung in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, and it's hanging there in two pieces on Saturday morning. And somehow they're just dismissing that. Like some guy walked in there with a stepladder, passed all the guards with a pair of scissors, and cut the thing. Like, no! But they're still so hard in their hearts, they refuse to acknowledge that there's something different about this man. So they call him a fraud. Listen. I said just a minute ago, right, this message of the resurrection is one of great hope. But if you're sitting here today and you're rejecting the claims of Jesus Christ, in essence what you're saying about him is that he is a fraud. And I beg you today to change that perspective. Because the resurrection for you does not hold promise and joy. Those who dismiss Jesus as a fraud await only his judgment. It's a heavy part of this day in the resurrection. Pilate grants them complete Roman authority. He says to them, you have a Roman guard at your disposal. Go make it as secure as possible. Note that the word secure is used three times in verses 64 through 66. Like, go secure the lion. <laughs> three times. Go make it secure as you can. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> right? So here they are. Roman power fully represented here. The seal represented Roman authority. It was some kind of wax. I don't know. It could have been done a couple ways. They could have taken it and kind of put a big blob of it there in between the stone and the face of the tomb, flattened it out and put the seal on it. Um, they would also do it at times with a cord across the tomb, anchored to the face of the tomb with, with wax on either side, and they would have sealed it. Either way, what that represented was security. The symbol of Rome's power. The message being this, mess with this and you mess with Rome. 
the military presence there would further heighten the message that this tomb was not to be tampered with and that serious consequences awaited anyone who would dare open it. So you have a seal, a stone, a watch, and the powers of Rome and Jerusalem, and I would suggest even hell itself all combined to keep Jesus in the grave. It's pretty formidable. Why these measures? Because the religious leaders knew this. They knew that everything hinged on a body being in that tomb Monday morning. And they knew that if it was not a dead body in that tomb on Monday morning, that they had a serious problem on their hands. Because if that body was there, that means everything Jesus ever said or taught was discredited. His authority discredited. And they once again are the established religious leaders with no question of their power. That tomb had to have a dead body in it Monday morning. And they're running scared that it might not be. So any notion of the fraudulent nature of Jesus and his claims is quickly dispelled in chapter 28. Amen? All the evil powers that conspired against Jesus fell miserably because the tomb is empty on Sunday morning. And just because I'm petty, I like to put in parentheses, the guards in the seal didn't work. Amen? It didn't work. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, I love the terminology, I love the imagery, I love that this happened in the morning. The dawning of a new day. Sunrise brings hope. I remember my mom telling the story. I had a brother born a year and a half after me. He only lived for a day. He was born with a condition called trisomy 13. And so Christopher passed away a little over a day after he was born. And uh, down in Texas that week, my mom had talked about it that whole week where she was in the hospital. And it had been really stormy and rainy all week. And she said the morning that Christopher went to be with Jesus, she said she looked out her hospital window and the sun was breaking over the horizon. She said it brought such hope and peace and joy to me. It was almost like God was saying, it's okay. I think that this was, this was like that morning. The darkness of Friday being washed away by the dawn of a new day. That God is saying, it's okay, a new day has come. You have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they go to see the tomb Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that these women had been there on Friday night. We already talked about this, right? That they had seen the tomb where Jesus was buried. So they go. And somewhere along the line, there's this violent earthquake. And an angel comes down, and he rolls back the stone, and he sits on it. I love this imagery. I, I don't know how this played out. They, 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 uh, the Gospels don't give us an exact play-by-play and exactly how this all happened. But this is what I like to imagine, is, is that this angel came down in this like lightning bolt right there in front of the tomb. And I, I, like, I like to think he like stared the, Romans, the Roman guards down. He looked at him. He walked up. He looked at the seal on this stone. And he looked back at the Roman guards and just with one hand whipped that stone back. And sat down on it and just stared at the Roman guards. I, I just love that. And they just faint. <laughs> he didn't seem to be bothered by the seal. 
The angel didn't appear there and walk up to the stone and go, oh no, <laughs> Pilate's seal was on this. What am I supposed to do now, God? You didn't tell me this was going to be on here. It's stuck. <laughs> That's not how it happened, church. The guards tremble and pass out. Rome's power reduced to sniveling dead guys. Then the women come upon the scene and they see something completely unexpected. They're expecting to see the stone there. In fact, I can't remember if it was Mark or Luke's account, they talk about on their way there, they're saying, oh, how are we going to move the stone so we can put the spices on Jesus' body? So this is completely unexpected in a good way. You ever have those times when, when, when something happens to you that's completely unexpected, when you're expecting something negative? Like, like oh, wow, Kathy really does like me. Like, that was one of those times, you know? <laughs> All you guys laughing, you had the same thing. Like, wow, that girl really does like me, right? I, I mean, that's one of those times. Or, or like, oh, man, I thought I was going to owe a lot of taxes. And now I'm getting this huge refund. Like, how cool is that? Like, the expectations totally changed. I remember uh, my 40th birthday. We had a surprise birthday party. Uh, we, not we, I didn't put it on. <laughs> uh, my own surprise birthday party. But uh, some friends, they put it together here. And it's funny, the, the way they got me here, we were at Ming Ten Saturday. It was my day off, and my whole family were gathered at Chinese buffet. And because it was my 40th birthday, I was probably on like trip five uh, to the buffet. And um, we're sitting there, and I don't remember if it was a phone call or a message, but we had just installed the new sound system here at church. And the message, and it was funny because Scott Christie was sitting down here in the first service. I said, Scott, do you remember this? He starts laughing. They called me and they said, Scott was in there messing with the new sound system and he messed it up and you need to come fix it. I was ticked off. <laughs> I was so annoyed. I'm like, it's my day off. It's my birthday. I'm at Ming 10. I'm going to go to church and fix a stupid sound system that Scott messed up. What a bad attitude. <laughs> Believable. <laughs> I wasn't Jesus overturning things in the temple ticked off, but I was close, you know. All right, get in the car, and, you know, and we get here and walk in, and surprise, you know, and I hug Scott. I'm like, I love you so much, man, you know. (laughs) But what was the frustration, what I thought was going to be an annoyance, what I thought was going to be a big problem, turned it up to be a, a blessing and a joy celebrating here with my friends, right, This was that times everything. Showing up and it's empty. I love this. The angel says, do not fear. Do not fear. Fear is a theme in these verses. It appears three times. The soldiers had fear and they passed out. But the angel very gently says to these women, you, don't you fear. Why? I know that you seek Jesus. Understand this this morning, that those who seek Jesus have no reason to fear him. He is your Savior. He uses the terminology here and in Hebrews, a brother's family. Roman guards, people who view Jesus as a fraud, they have reason to fear Jesus in the sense that the Roman guards did. But the angel speaks peace to these women. Jesus speaks peace to you today. Remember that in the midst of the brokenness and the hardness that the risen king looks at you, his child today, and he speaks peace to you and he says, fear not. I'm here. I'm with you. Go tell his disciples that I'm alive. He invites him into the temple, or to the temple, to the, to the tomb. 
come see. I love this too. It wasn't just like, so he's risen, but just take my word for it and, and go. It was like, come, you, come see. This is logical. This is real. This is tangible. He's not here. Come look. Physical. He's gone. He's going to Galilee. I love that. Physical person. He's not here. He's going to be there. He's a physical person. He's really alive. Go tell the disciples this and that they're going to see him. And they depart quickly with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. At first, he seems like contradictory terms. Like, how can you have fear and great joy? Right? Those of us who've gotten married or had children kind of understand how those two things can go together, right? <laughs> I remember like holding Carissa for the first time, especially when it's your first child holding Carissa for the first time, and there's this great joy. Like, oh my word, look at this. This is so cool. I'm a daddy, and, and there's this joy. You're so excited. And then all, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh no. <laughs> She's going home with me. <laughs> what do I do with it? <laughs> what if I break it? <laughs> What if I mess it up? I don't think I've messed you up too much, have I? No, no. Right? But there it is. You kind of get like fear, great joy. Fear is understandable. Resurrections didn't really happen every day. And when you had seen what they saw on Friday nights, the blood, the carnage, a body that Scripture tells us was barely recognizable, I think there's going to be a little bit of apprehension and fear when you see the restored risen Jesus. But they're full of joy because all that fear and that anxiety... It's gone. I love this, what happens next. The living Jesus greets his friends and they worship him. Jesus then appears as the women are going. He appears to them. He honors them with his presence. And he says, greetings. Now the thing is, you know, it kind of comes across a little form. Like we say that in English today, like greetings, Paul. It's like, oh, that's, that's kind of... That was, it's, this is the most common greeting that they had at the time. And as I was reading the commentator, they said, really, in, in, in our equivalent today, in English, what Jesus was saying to them was, hi, hey. This is so earthy. It's so real. Jesus didn't appear and go, behold, I'm resurrected. Stay away. I'm glorified now. But greetings. <laughs> I picture him having a smile on his face, and he sees the look, and he says, Hey. He's still Jesus. He still loves his friends. <laughs> they worship him by grabbing his feet. We talked about this a minute ago. Again, this is very physical. And by the way, wait, ghosts aren't easily grabbed. And they usually don't have feet. <laughs> right? But then they worship him. They grab his feet. Humanity. And they worship him. Only God's worthy of worship. God and man. This is Jesus I love this imagery. And he says it again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Again, that theme for those who seek and love Jesus. And then he says this, go tell my brothers that I'm alive. My brothers. He doesn't even use some formal term like my disciples or my followers. He says, go tell my brothers. He's referring to these sinful, weak human beings who all ran out on him the night of his arrest. My brothers. Bruner in his commentary says this, go tell my brothers is warm. In this one word is crammed the whole New Testament gospel of forgiveness. <laughs> and I love this next line. For Jesus could have called his disciples a lot of names that we have never read in the Bible. But he doesn't. 
Thus, every time this part of Jesus' resurrection story is told, forgiveness is preached, and so may be preached to us. The resurrection doesn't relationally distance Jesus from his followers. The glorified Christ still relates to his followers in personal terms. They still matter to him. I love this. So, here's where our hope is this morning as we contemplate all this. I can confidently place my hope in the truth of the resurrection. We don't have time to construct a whole apologetic for the resurrection. But I will say again, and let me be very clear, this is historical fact. It really happened. Jesus is alive. He didn't pass out. His body wasn't stolen. He's alive. Really and truly alive. Some of the things that jump out from Matthew's passage the act as proofs. First of all, the women who were the first to witness the resurrection. If Matthew, the gospel writers, were writing this up, the way women were viewed in the first century, Josephus writes, don't listen to a woman's testimony in court because of the weakness of their sex, because of who they are. A woman's testimony meant nothing in the first century. That, that hurts our modern sensibilities a little bit, but that's the way it was. So if I'm Matthew or gospel writer and you're inventing this story, you would not start with women as the primary witnesses to the resurrection. The fact that the men are hiding scared in an upper room, that's another thing that wouldn't cast a good light on the new movement. The only explanation for why this is recorded the way it is is because it's absolutely true. This is the way it happened. You could go to lots of other things. The disciples, their willingness to die, right? Chrysostom writes, how could the disciples have been able to persuade the multitude in Acts 2? By saying what? By doing what? Seeing him yet alive and merely seized, they had fled. And after his death, were they likely to speak boldly in his behalf? The fact that these men were willing to die. We don't die for lies. You're torturing me, and I'm lying about something. I'm going to give up. I'm done. I'm, it's, I'm lying. They all went to the grave because they saw the resurrected Jesus. So we can confidently place our hope in it, and here's why that's important. Because our enemy will not go quietly. Note immediately in verse 11, while the women were going to spread their news, to share their testimony, while they were going, there's a countermeasure that's already unfolding. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And a lie is concocted right away. Amusingly, those who are accusing Jesus of being a fraud are now being the most fraudulent out of the whole story, right? Go tell the people that the body was stolen. Don't be surprised that we engage in the mission of truth-telling, that we face the opposing mission. We will. There will always be lies that lead people away from Jesus. The claim here is that the people of God are lying. (laughs) Get used to that. It's not too different on our own day. But we're still going to proclaim the truth of the resurrection, right? But this is crazy. These guys concoct the lamest story ever. When you think about it, right? First of all, everyone knew that Roman soldiers would not have fallen asleep on the job, right? These men were professionals. They were very good at what they did. And they understood, you fall asleep on the job and someone gets away, you die. Everyone knew that. 
that they would face the death penalty. And if they had fallen asleep, would they have really, as professional soldiers, stayed asleep while a group of people came and rolled a big noisy stone away from the... You really think they would have slept through all of this, not been woken up? And if they were sleeping, how would they know that it was his disciples who stole the body? And you expect us to believe that disciples who ran scared in the garden a couple of nights before had suddenly mustered the courage to come and face off against Roman guards in order to steal a dead body? To perpetuate a lie? How dumb is that? It's a stupid story. (laughs) But anything that opposes Christ's truth ultimately is foolish. Right? You know, it's like when you come home as a as a parent and the lamp's broken in the living room. And you ask the kids, like, how'd the lamp break in the living room? And they're like, well, Dad, a, a raccoon came through the chimney, walked through the basement, opened the door, walked in, took my basketball, and threw it at the lamp and broke. And you're like, oh, makes perfect sense. <laughs> okay. Right? It's a lie. Well, Spencer and the worship team come up. I want to leave you with this. I didn't intend to get through the last page there of your notes. It's a summary. It's a list. It's your homework. The resurrection matters. Let me just close with this and we're going to sing a celebration song. This is what's true because of the resurrection. My greatest enemy has been rendered powerless. Because of the resurrection, I will also be raised and given a transformed body. Because of the resurrection, there's a mighty power that is also at work in me. Because of the resurrection, I am born again to a living hope and to an inheritance with Christ Because of the resurrection, I have confidence that God accepted Christ's sacrifice. Therefore, my own sins are atoned for. His mission did not end with a curse on a tree, but with victory. I have an intercessor. I have confidence in a new creation. I will drink new wine with Jesus in the kingdom. The blood of the martyrs will be vindicated. There will be final judgment where all sin will be judged and perfect justice will be executed against the wicked. I have purpose in life and I have the motivation to stay faithful and confident because I read Paul's words that talk about God who raised Christ and then he says because of that we do not lose heart because the resurrection is real. For those of you sitting here today who don't know Jesus as your Savior, who view him as a fraud, Please repent today and come under the blessings of the resurrection. You must repent of the sin that made his sacrifice necessary and embrace the risen Christ as your Lord. We are sinners. We have all sinned. We haven't just messed up or made mistakes or whatever other terminology we want to use to smooth over our guilt and rebellion. We aren't helpless victims of our environment, our chemical imbalances, bad parents, wrong genes, or whatever else we want to blame for our depravity. We are guilty rebels who stand deserving of the wrath of a holy God who created us, who we must stand before in judgment someday. We deserve eternal death, hell, and separation from God. But this cross is the good news of the gospel, and it tells us that Jesus took the penalty in our place, and if we are willing to humble ourselves in repentance and embrace him in worship as our Lord, as the women did that resurrection morning, then we can be assured that our sins are forgiven, and all the hope that the resurrection promises will be ours. Find your hope in the resurrected Jesus this morning. Submit to Jesus, your Savior and your Lord.